Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. You are listening to an encore presentation of Afternoons with Bill Arnold. Faith, hope, and clarity in a special repeat performance. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. So glad to uh, have you with me today. I hope your day's been started off good. We're going to start with a conversation with Lucas Miles. He's written a book called The Christian Left. Well, you might think that's a political book, but it's not. It uh, It is a book about how the liberal thought has hijacked the church. Now, Lucas just said he's done about 100 interviews in the last month. So let's bring him on for interview 101. Lucas, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Of course, when you see the title, The Christian Left, you go, uh-oh, so what is that all about? So maybe we should start there. Yeah, absolutely. So The Christian Left is really um, what I what I see as a growing constituency of believers, and oftentimes so-called believers, or maybe believers by name only, who have embraced liberal ideology, progressive philosophy, and oftentimes Marxist theory. And and this has sort of produced a um, sort of the pseudo version of Christianity mm-hmm. that's really earmarked by uh, sort of a downgraded view of the Bible uh, that it's something less than the Word of God. It's it's no longer viewed as infallible, and as well as sort of an embracing of every in vogue you know moral uh, uh, um, you know uh, progressive idea that's out there today from LGBT community to uh, pro choice views, uh, and oftentimes sort of this uh, this socialist. Uh, version of Christianity that that we see that might be you know also known as liberation theology or critical race theory. Mm-hmm. And this is growing; it's gaining momentum, and we're seeing this no longer just in uh, you know isolated uh, pockets. We're really seeing this now in community churches, and I think it's something that Christians can be aware of. And I really wrote this book, The Christian Left, to help bring them back to uh, some sort of Christian orthodoxy. I like that. Uh, Lucas has the church moved left, or has the left moved into the, moved into the church? I think both, uh, and and I think that's the only kind of fair answer here, because you know, um, by no means is this simply just a uh, um, uh, some sort of strategic, you know, democratic agenda to you know to adjust the whole church. Although I do think that is happening, uh, it's not responsible for all of this. So the left is looking for ways to win elections, and they know that they can't win elections without really dividing the faith vote. So you're going to see a lot more messaging, as we've already seen this year, on you know uh, Biden's devout faith. You're going to see uh, terms like Christian and Catholic used to describe the current administration and some of their various players. And you're going to see terms like Protestant and and uh, evangelical to describe uh, those that the media want to paint in maybe a less than Christian light um, that are you know maybe uh, also Trump supporters or also conservative. And, and there's really sort of this um, uh, concerted effort to um, to downgrade anyone who holds the Bible still in any sort of literal regard or uh, absolute authority position, and the left is making an effort. Simultaneously, I think over the last couple decades, the church has made an effort to reach more people, and so they have edited themselves in many cases – and, you know, you've seen where messages used to be preached uh, verse by verse throughout the Bible, 
now we have a lot of churches that are using one or two scriptures in a sermon. And and I think that although we're we're see you know we saw things like the seeker sensitive movement make a lot of converts, they didn't make a lot of disciples. And so this is kind of happening from both sides. It's really created this perfect recipe to introduce this progressive you know breed of Christianity. We're nodding our heads yes in the studio right now, just so you know. <laughs> in your book, you talk about the post-traumatic church disorder, which are people who have been wounded from their past, and they feel compelled to search for ideologies, peer groups, political affiliations that seem to offer more acceptance and diversity of thought. I see that more and more. You know, I've actually had a few people get angry with me about using this term because they feel like it's it's sort of— uh, uh, you know, poking, uh, uh, you know, making light of those who have, you know, especially our, our you know, uh, fellow Americans who've gone through uh, maybe really post-traumatic, uh, post-traumatic tr- uh, stress disorder um, with things in the military. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, you know, going through a church, uh, your life is not on the line, hopefully, and, and you don't have bullets flying across. But there is a stress that happens. And I've seen as a pastor, I started preaching at 17, I'll be 42 this year, uh, I've seen people go through tremendously um, painful emotional experiences at church, so much so that it kind of causes them to push away from religion. Mm-hmm. Um, what has happened, I think, as people, you know, you hear people say, I love God, I just hate the church. And I think what the Christian left has sort of provided is it's provided sort of this halfway house emotional place to where somebody can feel um, that they're on a spiritual journey without really having to deal with the accountability or the authority structure or, or sort of uh, what they perceive to be a lot of the rules of church, which I think is a false understanding, but I think it's a common perception. Uh, and, and the Christian left has sort of solved that at the surface level for some of these wounded individuals. Um, in actuality, it's taking them further and further away from truth and leading them into you know, these heretical beliefs. But I think that it's provided um, you know, a, a what appears to be a safe place uh, for those who have been wounded in some of these situations by, you know, the traditional church. Very interesting. Lucas, talk about the way the left has done a pretty aggressive job of trying to redefine sin. <laughs> so for the Christian left and for progressives and, you know, those who are uh, you know, maybe um, include themselves in what would be known as liberation theology, which is sort of a mixture of Marxism and, and uh, Christian thought. Um, sin has a completely different meaning. Sin on an individual level is almost non-existent. Uh, they don't believe in original sin. They don't believe that, you know, they're in the, what is known as the depravity of man. Um, what they believe in is really sin on a community level. And so they're going to talk about sin in regards to systemic racism, and that is the sin of the community in their minds. Uh, but when you start going, well, what about these individual things? Are those sins? And, and that's just, you know, it's basically um, an argument that they would use to the circular reasoning that even if, if you try to point out individual sins over the, the sin of the community, you are just part of the problem. And so <laughs> yeah. it's sort of this it's sort of this fence that they've drawn around this so you can't address anything. You know, if you talk about, you know, people firebombing buildings, uh, well you don't really have a right to say that because the sin of the community is is, you know, systemic racism or the sin of the com- community is this oppressive view against those, you know, uh, um, you know that uh, maybe aren't as privileged. And so 
there's really no you know uh, concept of a biblical view of sin that we are as, as individuals separated from God and that we need a savior. You'll never hear you know Christian leftists you know like maybe uh, Pete Buttigieg you know who was the mayor of my city in South Bend, Indiana at one time. Uh, you'll never hear him talk about um, things like heaven and hell and redemption and forgiveness of sins and you know repentance. These things don't come into play because it doesn't play into the narrative of progressive ideology. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should uh, start with a couple of ways in which the left uses spiritual-sounding language. And yeah, so... We've taken some words and expressions, and how about Jesus would never get in the way of the love between two people? You know, we hear we hear statements like this on the left all the time, and they have made a real... Um, uh, you know, real strong effort to utilize language of the church that's recognizable and familiar in such a way to kind of push their agenda and, and sound more convincing. So as you mentioned, you know, Jesus would never get in the way of, of love between two people. Uh, you'll hear things like a real Christian accepts everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll hear things like, you know, Jesus was a refugee. Um, you know, that God doesn't create walls that prevent people from coming to him, you right. know, it's sort of a as a backhanded way to uh, to dig it, you know, and having uh, some sort of actual national border structure. Um, and, and so all of these are really attempts to um, use familiar language to hijack the message. Now, ironically, this is the same tactic that we saw in Nazi Germany. I wrote about this in the book, The Christian Left as well. And that is that um, Hitler and, and the Third Reich, basically, uh, some of Hitler's cronies kind of saw that the church was a useful structure for propaganda. And so instead of just kind of, you know, running it over with the tank, they said, well, we can use this. And they basically put their own people in place. And they really started, you know, coercing these pastors and forcing them, you know, and threatening their families and things like that. And in exchange, they basically developed a form of Christianity that in, in German was called uh, positivist Christentum, basically positive Christianity. And this positive Christianity had all these sort of uh, outer makings of of what we know the gospel to be, uh, except for they removed anything that had to do with the spiritual life, with uh, the divinity of Christ, with heaven and hell, uh, with sin, all of this. And they really converted Jesus to being the great champion of the state rather than the savior of the world. And at a softer level, we're starting to see that same thing happen right now by the Christian left, and, and that, that Jesus is used as sort of a propaganda piece in order to push, you know, really Biden's administration's, uh, you know, objectives forward. Mm-hmm. Lucas, I know, I know you know people like this, because I know people like this, friends that have been solid believers for a long, long time, and all of a sudden they start telling you that they're okay with certain progressive things that have come into the church, and you kind of shake your head like, really? Uh, I, sadly, I do, and I've I seen too. it a lot. I've I've seen it with pastors, and I think a lot of people have. You know, this is this is something I would guess is going to ring true with a lot of a lot of the audience listening today, and that is that you know we see the church, you know, drifting further and further left. I call this doctrinal drift. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we I grew up near Lake Michigan. We I, I give the example in, in the book The Christian Left here that you know that that orthodoxy or kind of this right way of thinking about Christianity. It's sort of a lot like a buoy floating on on top of the water, and you know those buoys mark kind of outer limits and in, in the uh, uh, in the coastline and these things and where the uh, the tide changes and and basically it's a concrete block at the bottom and that has a cable to it with this this big float on the top and that buoy is able to kind of float along the surface 
And that, sort, that circle that that buoy makes as it floats along the surface, that's kind of what, what Christian beliefs are like. We might have a different view on certain topics, maybe speaking in tongues or how baptism should be you know, uh, executed or something like that. Uh, but when it comes down to it, we have the freedom in, in, to really kind of debate some of these passages in good Christian spirit, uh, but we are still connected to the source of the truth, and that is Scripture itself. Um, the Christian left, what they have done is they've really disconnected themselves. Basically, that cable that holds the float, uh, their belief, to the, to the rock-bottom foundation of the Word of God has been severed, and they just started start drifting out in these divergent dark waters of progressive ideology. There's no way to kind of bring them back at that point, or it's very difficult to bring them back and for them to find their way back. And we've, we're seeing this. It's, it's very convincing because a lot of Christian elites and a lot of uh, Christian you know, uh, media types and these things, they're sort of pushing the agenda further and further left. They've been enamored by this. And I think it's really impacted a lot of sort of everyday Christians out there and pastors. And, of course, these pastors have been trained oftentimes in liberal Christian, you know, seminaries, and it's gone from that professor to the pastor, and now we're starting to see it in the pews. Very interesting. Lucas Miles is my guest. He's written a book called The Christian Left, How Liberal Thought Has Hijacked the Church. We'll take a little break and be right back. We've had a little technology issue, but it's all solved. And I want to thank Lucas Miles, who uh, joined me in the last 15 minutes. And I would love to introduce you now to Adam Davis. He's a former police officer who absolutely knows the stress and pressures of law enforcement and what they go through all the time. He's an author and a speaker, and his mission is really to help those who walk that thin blue line. He's written a book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. No, I'm delighted. Are you a Minneapolis guy? I am in Fargo, North Dakota, getting ready to speak at an event tonight up here. Awesome. Uh, and headed headed back to deep south Alabama early tomorrow morning. My oldest son graduates high school tomorrow night. So Fantastic. Uh, i got to get home for that, yes. Congra- busy, busy couple of days. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you for taking the Thanks. time today to be on the show. Uh, your oh, book, absolutely. Prayers and Promises for First Responders, what a little gem of a book this is. Uh, what is your hope for those who get their hands on this book? Oh, you know what? The hope is with every book that it leads somebody to a closer walk or, or a relationship with Jesus. Amen. Um, that is that is the number one goal with everything I do. It, it may seem a little unorthodox at times. Um, it may get a little messy at times. It may get a little busy. But at the end of the day... I want people to know my best friend, the hero of my story, and his name is Jesus. Love it. And and he sent a comforter in the form of the Holy Spirit. He's provided us with the instruction manual, a battle plan for everything that we're going to face in his word. And uh, and I think that it's just time for us to quit playing small mm-hmm. and, quit, and, and quit sitting on the pews and sitting on the sidelines and saying, well, we're praying for you. 
Um, you know, the, the Revelation tells us there's a scripture that says cowards will not inherit the kingdom. Now, I'm not a theologian, but it, it puts cowards in the same category as murderers, liars, thieves, um, adulterers, the sexually moral. Um, and, and I think that it's time that we accept the fact that we must be a courageous Christian. And that means standing up for what's right, no matter how bad the liberal left or whoever else is attacking it. And that means standing up and supporting our cops and all first responders, standing up for the American way of life and uh, and doing it in the way that is godly and holy and righteous. But don't back down. Mm-hmm. And so my, my number one goal is that it'll draw people closer to him. Number two, that it'll it'll put them on the forefront of the minds of everyday Americans so that they'll pray for them, they'll support them, they'll be their voice in town square when uh, politicians are trying to make idiotic moves like defunding law enforcement, uh, which is completely un, un, you know, un-American, and I, I believe it's demonic at its core. Um, but, you know, number one, bring people to Jesus. That's, that's the goal. That's mm-hmm. the goal. Mm-hmm. Adam Davis is my guest. He's written a book called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. Adam is... Is uh, being a first responder, is that a calling? It's certainly not a job in the sense of most occupations because it requires sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And, and it requires sacrifice in the deepest sense. And, you know, this week uh, we honor the lives of the men and women of law enforcement who have paid the ultimate price. Uh, we remember them. Uh, we, we bring to memory their families, those who remain. And um, we're reminded that life is temporary and that to keep our community safe often comes at a high cost and that these are men and women these are human beings they they have emotions they have dreams they have families they they've known love they have experienced hate but what really makes it special to me is they continue to put on their uniforms and they continue to answer calls and respond to service even when people absolutely hate them and want to kill them, want to hurt them, want to bring them harm. And I think that's the perfect mirror representation of the love of our God. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, what better way to demonstrate it than going into putting yourself in, in harm's way for others, knowing that they hate you, you know? And, uh, but I think that, you know, we're encouraged to know that the majority of Americans do support law enforcement and all first responders. They support and love our flag. They support, you know, um, having freedom of religion. They support us having church and being able to worship freely. Uh, but I think we've kind of been scared into the corner by some of these toothless lines that roar around. And I think it's time for us to remember who we are and remember who we belong to. And um, and I think it's time to take the fight, and it starts in prayer. That's where we go. Mm-hmm. Adam, when you were a police officer, did you have an experience where you— uh lost a uh, another officer uh, did you lose a colleague um in the line of fire uh well we had uh, an officer who uh, passed away in his sleep it was a medical condition another mm-hmm. had a heart attack on duty uh there was a an officer who had gone through the a class a police academy class right after i graduated and he was um, stabbed in the neck and ultimately died Oh down in Mobile, Alabama, and um, so I've been to several. You know, unfortunately, more more than I care to remember police funerals. Um, but those men, um, you know, we should live a life that's worthy of the of the price they paid. 
don't don't take for granted what you've got in your community. If you can sleep soundly at night, if you can travel down the road safely, um, you don't take for granted first responders. Don't don't take for granted good cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, God God forbid the day comes that you don't have anybody to respond to your calls. Yeah, Adam. Let me ask you. Uh, I know this may sound like an obvious question, but why is it so important for first responders to be maintaining their both their spiritual and their physical self care? Well, number one, uh, they're human beings, and there is an eternity. That 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 this is this is not the end. This is uh, this is an assignment, and and you know God doesn't want to. He doesn't send anyone to hell. I, I heard Billy Graham say in a in a message uh, on a video, obviously one time that. You know, God has never sent a man to hell. Man goes there on his own free will, on his choosing, because he rejects God. But God has prepared a place for those who accept him. So, number one, that's it. That's it. Number two, this is a flesh and blood world. And uh, while we don't battle against flesh and blood, we are flesh and blood. That means that we respond differently to uh, traumatic events and to pain. Um, and so having your faith intact and having a solid foundation of faith is actually one of the key pillars to developing a resilient life, a resilient mind. And so having that faith is so important to be able to bounce back from hardship, to overcome adversity, uh, to, to have a plan in place and to have that foundation so that if a traumatic event does occur, you can bounce back from it. You know, you can continue to move forward. It doesn't, it doesn't drown you. So, uh, that's, that's, you know, and I think the third reason, and, and this is probably, this is probably on up there. I, I don't know that I, that number one, two, and three, but, uh, the third reason is if you're having your worst day, who would you rather respond to you? I mean, your worst day, you're, you're, you're dealing with chaos, you're dealing with fear, you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with heart-wrenching loss. Would you want a hard-hearted and calloused first responder to come to you, or would you rather have a well-trained, well-equipped, armed with the compassion and love of Jesus first responder come to your side that says, we're, we're going to be with you through this? I want that person. You have <laughs> yeah, you want that person. And so that's and, and so what you're doing is you're literally discipling and sending men and women into the most painful destructive circumstances in our country mm. and they're not only well equipped in their profession, but they're armed with the love of a living God. Mhm. If you uh, know or love someone who is a first responder, you're, you're going to want a copy of uh, Adam's book. It's called Prayers and Promises for First Responders. It's a nice-sized book that can slip in a book bag real easily or uh, in your car. Uh, Adam, so nice to meet you, and I appreciate you coming on the show. I wish we had more time, and blessings tonight on your talk. Thank you so very much for having me on. Yep. Adam Davis, you can learn more about him at theadamdavis.com. And once again, His book is Prayers and Promises for First Responders. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Beverly Canaris is going to join me. We're going to talk about doxologies. We'll be right back. Let's get it started. 
Welcome back to the show. I've got Beverly Canaris with me. I always look forward to talking to her. She always brings so much wisdom and and uh, biblical teaching. And she was a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years. And uh, so I always uh, look forward to having her on. We're going to talk today about uh, doxology. Uh, last time we were on, we were talking about lamenting prayer. So I think she thought it would be a good idea to, to talk about another category of scripture called doxology. Bab, welcome. Thank you, Bill. Great to be here. Yeah. So, I hope I didn't put anybody to sleep with that topic. No, you didn't at all. Oh, I find good. it fascinating. You it, know, maybe, I, it's not talked about. Yeah, I know. So it's let's one do of those it. missing pieces for a lot of us in our Bible reading. Well, let's start by defining it. Okay. Well, um, I did look up the words, how that all puts together in the Greek. And doxa means glory. And loga, uh, which is spelled L-O-G-I-A, but it's pronounced loga, is saying or speaking. So literally, this means glory speak. When you're talking about uh, um, this kind of uh, doxology, you're saying uh, you're speaking about God's glory. So, That's kind of the bottom line. Okay, so how often does this come up? How do we recognize it? And then tell us the purpose. I mean, I think that you just described the purpose, but maybe elaborate on that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's important to do that because we use these words and we're very often we aren't really familiar with how it's used in Scripture. Well, a doxology really is just a short declaration or a song of praise um, to God. So it's something that we address to Him. Now, we often hear doxology in worship services um, that can use some of the words of the doxologies in the Bible or bring in their own or combine verses to kind of come up with this beautiful doxology where they're speaking about God's glory and praising him. I think a lot of the worship songs do that as well. Doxology, though, is often at the end of scripture sections and then can be used as a benediction. Um, Doxology can be sung can be prayed. It can be used like in formal worship, like I said, within a service on a church uh, on a Sunday morning. Um, It also, though, can come from your heart in private devotions. And this is where I have been blessed looking at this topic of doxologies. I'm trying to start and end my prayer time now with doxology, uh, that really praising God for his glory, talking about his glory back to him in a spontaneous praise of doxology. Um, doxologies are also seen as um, heavenly worship, and we're going to look at that in a moment. And this is, we're going to look at a picture from Revelation, where we see that the all the all the people in heaven are singing a doxology to Christ, the Lamb, which is just beautiful. So it's not going to be something that we're going to stop doing here on earth. This is going to be a practice that we carry on throughout our eternity with Christ, Now, many are perhaps thinking when they hear the word doxology, they think about the doxology that we sing in church, right? Isn't that kind of where your mind kind of goes? Um, And that goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Well, that actually is not strictly right from the Bible, although the ideas and the many, almost all the words are from Scripture, but it contains scriptural truth and it models the concept of doxology. This is where the concepts of Scripture have been taken and put into music to worship God with, to sing doxology. 
Now, this hymn was actually written in nineteen, in excuse me, sixteen seventy four, and was part of a larger work of music. And the composer was Thomas Ken. He was an Anglican bishop in the Church of England. Now, when the bishop composed this song during a time, uh, it was thought heretical to sing anything but the Psalms in church. And some people even today have some of those viewpoints. So he specifically wrote this music for the students at Winchester College. He instructed them that they could only listen or sing this in their rooms in private devotion. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? That's very interesting. And now it's one of the most used hymns in all of Christianity. And beloved hymns. Beloved. Yeah, and we we feel passionate when we sing that. We do. Yeah. And with such meaning, and I always love it, sung a cappella. I do too. Yeah, yeah, right from the heart. I also like it when they sing it without any musical accompaniment as well. (laughs) That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah, I'm going to agree with you on that one. Oh, good. See, we are agreeing on things. But, you know, I just flashed back to a picture I was holding a dear friend of mine's hand, and she was dying. And I remember I'm not a singer, and I don't like to sing in front of people. But I sang the doxology as we were just being in his presence together. She was a Christian, and Mm. it, it is. It has a special place in all of our hearts. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the idea of this doxology. There, There is a pattern here that identifies something as a doxology. First, who it's being addressed to. So a doxology is being addressed to the Lord, God, Christ, of course, the Trinity. Second uh, pattern part is the acknowledgement of who God is. Now, we're not adding anything to who God is. We are just declaring what we know to be true about God. And we get that, of course, from Scripture. So we're declaring the truth about him. And then third, um, they often end with words like forever and ever, or amen. And I love the thought that this amen really is representative of the heart of the person that's giving their all to God in doxology. So that's so beautiful. Amen. You know, it's just, it's all of me, or if you're with other people, it's all of us. It's our heart fully into this doxology, this speaking God's praise about his uh, glory. Interestingly enough, both Old and New Testament have doxologies. So I just want to look at a few of these in our short time together here, and just to give you a taste of what they look like and how they sound in Scripture. What's the exact number in the Bible? It can be debated because some people consider something doxology, others perhaps wouldn't. But approximately, there's 16 in the New Testament and around 17 in the Old Testament. That's very interesting, Bev. Maybe let's do a couple of examples. All right. Well, let's start in the Old, since that came first. Uh, There's a passage in Deuteronomy 32.3. That reads this way. So here, listen to see if you hear those three characteristics of doxology here. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. Now, many of the Old Testament um, doxologies start with the words, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. I, I love that phrase. Then we have another example from 1 Samuel 25, verse 32. Here David is praising God for Abigail. Uh, Abigail uh, came out and met David when David was on a uh, vengeance rampage out to kill her husband and his whole household because of 
uh, a riff they had over the sharing of the booty of uh, her husband's estate. So, but David stops. Abigail comes out and says, don't do this, my Lord. Don't have this guilt on your conscience. And she acknowledged that God had chosen him for the Lord. And this is how he responds. He responds with doxology. Blessed be the Lord the God of Israel, who sent you to me today. So there's that phrase, blessed be the Lord. Again, David uses it in 1 Kings 1, Blessed be the God of Israel, who today has granted one of my offspring to sit on my throne and permitted me to witness it. And of course, he said that doxology when he called uh, uh, Salomon. <laughs> I want to say salamander for some reason. <laughs> Solomon, <laughs> that wouldn't quite be right. No, that would not be no, right. No, I would Solomon, you on his that, son, Bev. his son. Thank you, yes. thank you. Just wa- you got to watch me. Um, uh, Solomon was called to be king, and he saw that and took part in that uh, crowning of his own son. So that was something that he wrote a doxology about and recorded in scripture. And then, in, also in the Old Testament, of course, as you would might suspect. The book of Psalms has so many doxologies. Um, There are five books, or you might say chapters within the book of Psalms, uh, sections of of the book of Psalms. Now, four of these groupings end with doxology. Isn't that interesting? Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's some more examples again. Psalm 4113. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. So there's that blessed be the Lord. And the, the length of time, everlasting to everlasting, or the words forever and ever, you'll hear that too. Psalm sixty-eight, nineteen: blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. God is our salvation. Psalm 72, 19. Are you hearing the repetition of the pattern here? Yes. Uh, blessed be his glorious name forever. May his glory fill the whole earth. Amen. And amen. What a beautiful benediction that is in the middle of Psalms. But at the very end of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150, really can be considered a doxology for the whole book of Psalms. And I've always loved this psalm, and it's beautiful to pray it, especially when you when you have finished praying, uh, to offer it up to the Lord, or you can start out with it. But uh, typically doxologies are more towards the end of whatever has been said. So just listen to Psalm 150. It's short. And listen to how it really does, has, has those characteristic and how it sounds like doxology. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Praise him with the strings and the pipe. Praise him with the clash of cymbals. Do you feel it just building? Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I love that last verse. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And we know that one day they will. Every creature will bow their knee before Christ. So this is a little prophetic there as well. So that, I think, is an interesting fact about Psalms, that it actually has them as conclusion to the little chapters in the book, and also the last one sums it up with the doxology. Mm-hmm. That's really, really interesting. So, Bev, here, 
what I'd like to suggest, and that is uh, we'll take our break, which is just a minute earlier than usual, but then we'll come back and we'll look at the doxologies in the New Testament. That'd be great. There's many of them there. Yeah, there's a lot of them there. And then, uh, so we'll be back with Beverly Canaris in just a minute. going on here in the studio right now. No, we're ready to start everyone's, dancing, aren't we, Rosie? Everyone's, everyone's head bobbing. <laughs> yeah. We are. This yeah. is this reminds me of the kind of music that you would hear in Psalms, right? Yes. It's just out yes. there. Yeah. yeah, this is really doxology it in Psalms. Is. Yeah, really, well really chosen, God's Rosie glory. B. I'm on fire today, Bill. You, I don't know. Are. I can't have you to tell you that. You are on fire. I know, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. We yeah. love that about her. Yeah. Yes. Beverly Canaris is my guest. She was a Bible study fellowship teacher for over 30 years and also co-host of the podcast, she is becoming. We're talking about doxologies today, and I think we're all learning a lot, which I appreciate. Bev, let's look at the New Testament. Where are some of the doxologies there? Well, you know, you can look to almost any book in the New Testament, but these have been highlighted. Romans has doxology, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Hebrews, First and Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation. Uh, so it's throughout the New Testament that you see these kinds of glory speak or speaking of God's glory. One doxology that, uh, besides the doxology, that song that we often say, as and it's part of our, our worship as well, is the Lord's Prayer. But then at the end of the Lord's Prayer, as to what's recorded there in Matthew, we always say what? For thine is the kingdom and the, and power, the power and, and the, the glory. glory. Forever, forever and, and ever. ever. Amen. Amen. Right. So that is really um, not in the original text. It It is recorded in a Byzantine text of Matthew, but most scholars, scholars don't include it in the original text. But I still love saying it, even though I know it's, it's, it is biblical in that the concept, every word in there is biblical. It's a beautiful example of really doxology. That's the doxology for the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and a great conclusion to prayer is doxology. So that's a beautiful way to remember that, uh, that that is a doxology for us when we pray that with others and by ourselves as well. Okay, now we're coming up on one of my faves. Oh, I know. This is my all-time fave, I think. Is it? Oh, mine's the next one. Mine's in Romans. (laughs) All right, so the one that Bill loves. Let's talk about that first, then. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. I'm going to read it slowly because I want you to just don't not close your eyes if you're not driving. Uh, Close your eyes and really listen to the words. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, According to his power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Mm. Now, did you hear the repetition? Who it was addressed to? Uh, to him who is able. Uh, in talking about Jesus Christ and his glory 
and then the generations from forever and ever and ending it with amen. Classic doxology right there. Beautiful doxology, and there's so much theology wrapped up in these doxologies as well. Sometimes when we're reading the Bible, we can see these kind of concluding things, and we our eyes can just start skipping over it, and you miss so much. Paul is actually, this is the middle of the book of Ephesians. He's not wrapping it up here. He's just exploding. He is exploding with praise to God. Um, let me just highlight some of the truths that are found in this doxology. Uh, he, he, th- first of all, he says, God is able. He's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. His power is beyond anything we know, and that very power is working in our lives according to his power at work within us, the doxology says. So that very power that's his is working in our own lives. Uh, that's my promise for the day. Isn't that beautiful? That's fantastic. It's his power working in us. And so often we feel so powerless. Circumstances are swirling out of our control. We we can't control other people. We hardly can control any circumstances around us. And it's nice to know that God's power is at work in our lives. We don't have to start, you know, grabbing after the power. And then it goes on to say that God knows and answers our unspoken prayers. Um, He talks about more than all we can ask or imagine. So not only does God know what we're speaking to him about in prayer, Bill, he knows what your heart desires are, and he knows how to answer those things in his time, his way, but above and beyond what we could ask or imagine. I tell you, I can prove this true in my own life. I can prove this true. I never would have chosen the life I have right now. I feel so blessed. But that is how God is. He's generous and he answers beyond. We might ask for a a peanut and he gives us a whole bag. You know, it's just the way God is. He's a generous God. And then it goes on to talk about God alone deserving the glory. If in fact the church, even today, the church exists to give him glory. And this psalm, this doxology is really telling us that God alone deserves that glory. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And, you know, there's a lot of dissing on church today. It's like, who needs it? You know, I can be a Christian without church. No, we are to be a part of this body, this group of believers who give glory to God. That's where we're going to really see the glory of God is when we gather together with God's people. Well, now onto the Romans one, my favorite. Romans eleven thirty three through 36. I remember spending a whole 45 minutes teaching this doxology. It's so loaded, and I could have gone on for another 45. It's so loaded with truths about God. I'm going to read it again slowly. Close your eyes if you're not driving. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Wow, talk about rich theology and ascribing glory to God. This certainly does. We, we learn here that 
we're to use our words to praise him. We learn here that God has wisdom and ways that are way beyond our understanding. And aren't you glad about that? Because if we could understand everything about God or what God was doing, we would be God. We would, we would be an equal. We're not an equal. And I'm so glad because I trust him to know what he's doing when I can't understand and to, to look deeply into things with that eternal perspective that I just don't always have. This doxology also tells us that God is the first cause of all things and is to be glorified. Did you notice that last statement? It said, for from him and through him and for him are all things. It kind of takes me back to John chapter 1, where all things were created through Christ, through him, the word. And then also it goes on to say that God is to be glorified because, why? First of all, he's all-knowing or omniscient. He knows it all. When I think about my tiny little piece of knowledge, you know, it's like a speck of dust. And then think of the wisdom and the omniscience of God, what he knows. He knows it all, and he knows all of that about you as well. It also talks about how he's all-sufficient. He is able. He is uh, uh, the all-sufficient counselor. He's also omnipotent, means that he has all the power These big words really are so significant because you wouldn't say that about any human being, that they're omniscient, in other words, have all wisdom, or omnipotent, they have all power. We can only apply these glory words and glory worship to the Lord. So when I read a passage like that, I really have to ask myself this, how can this be actively applied in my life today? So I wonder if you have a circumstance that you just don't understand, that you, you, you can't trace out the hand of God in it. That's the time where your faith says, just trust. Trust me. It's faith that pleases God. We don't need to know all the pieces. And if we did, I think we would run scared. Mm-hmm. If I had known what God had mapped out for me in my life, I would have run scared. Mm. I was the girl in the back of the classroom want blend just blend just blend no 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 wave making here and yet and I was not um comfortable speaking at all in public and it's interesting that God you know he had that right plan he knew it all uh before my life was even formed he's omniscient he knows everything such beautiful words and the, the, there's a depth to his wisdom. There's a depth to his knowledge that we just can't understand at all. He's the master counselor. And so when we have needs, it says here, who can be his counselor? Nobody can be his counselor because he is that all-wise, all-knowing God. And so we go to him as our counselor, and we have the Holy Spirit within us, which is also our counselor. Well, another one I wanted to show before we go here is on um, found in Revelation 5, 12 through 13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne, to the lamb, be praise and honor, glory and power. Now, that's not at the end of Revelation. That's chapter 5 of Revelation. So in heaven, we are going to be singing doxology, and every creature is going to be singing doxology to God. So sometimes you feel like the oddball out, right? You know, 
No, you're not going to be the oddball out. Everybody's going to be doing it, as we say. <laughs> it's going to be a beautiful... Can you imagine the sound of that in mm. heaven? Wow. Beautiful. Especially if I sound like James Taylor. Oh, well, that's a, that's a prayer request, isn't it now? <laughs> Here we are told, Christ is the Lamb. He's worthy to receive glory. All are going to fall down to him, praise him. So, listeners, as you read Scripture and come across doxology, speak them in prayer to the Lord, making them your own words. We can offer up doxology to God in our own words as well by speaking of God's glory. You know, when our hearts are so full of praise and in wanting to glorify God, our words of doxology can be such a wonderful way to worship the Lord. Mm, so good. You know, Bev, I think we all learned a little bit more about doxology today. And, and thank you for defining it. And thank you for talking about uh, how we break it down, how we understand it, and how it fits into our, our time of worship with the Lord. So thanks. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, thanks. Beverly Canaris has been my guest. That's our show for the day. Thank you for spending time with me, and I just can't wait for tomorrow. Looking forward to having you uh, experience another uh, interview with Jay John and lots more. Have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.